Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I have a simple question for you. Can you just please answer it straightforward? Don't hem and haw and beat around the bush <laughs> like you like to. Have you ever seen God? Um, No. Okay, I don't want this to come across as blasphemous, but I do want to impart uh, just some advice, because if you do want to see God, or, or who might feel like God, the feeling of being in this heavenly presence, what I need you to do, Andrew, is go to Yosemite National Park on Thanksgiving, wait all the crowds out, hang out on Sunday, be in that valley all by yourself, listen to the birds chirping, watch the bucks <laughs> and the coyotes and the wolves surround you, hear, you know, the beautiful Merced River, listen to that, just, you know, trickle down the uh, the hill, go for a jaunt through five different waterfalls at your easy disposal, uh, look up at the beautiful granite rocks, which have these incredible formations like Half Dome, you will not believe it, Andrew. When you are in that, you know, sort of Bill Walton-like state, I challenge you, I defy you to still say no when someone asks you that question in the future. <laughs> I mean, that's on my bucket list. Would you say I should do Yosemite or Zion Park in Utah first? Man, that's really tough. I think for years I probably would have gone Zion just because I'm so biased towards those Utah parks. But Yosemite is really rapidly running up my list in terms of you know where it stands. And like 75% of the park is closed during the winter, so you yeah. have a little trade-off. There's fewer people, but you know on the bright side, uh, you know you, you don't have to deal with the crowds, but you do miss out on some of the viewpoints and all that. But you should do it at any time of year. It was unbelievable. A, a great brain break. And now I'm excited to talk hoops with you. Well, there you go. I appreciate that because at the start, when you were describing nature, you said, watch the bucks. And I thought we were going to kind of deviate into another Giannis uh, monologue from you. And I'm glad we didn't. Yosemite's on my list. I'm number one on my bucket list, by the way, is making it to the Canadian national parks at some point in the summertime. But um, we don't need we don't need any more national parks talk because listen, Ben, you lied at the beginning of this podcast. There's a lot up with you, okay? You're moving on to the Washington Post, and we have to talk about that before we get into the hoops discussion today. So to begin, I'll read a question that just came in from Byron in Ghana who says, they say you never know what you have until it's gone, and they are right, whoever they are. When I first heard about Ben's new gig, I was happy for him and thought, if anyone deserves this, it's sports journalism's Jimmy Butler. Of course, then, my stupid brain had to keep working, which led me to wonder, does this mean no more open floor? So Ben, talk about the new opportunity, talk about where we're headed, take it any direction you want. Well, I don't want to get too deep into this, Andrew, because if I start saying nice things about one company, then everyone's going to say, oh, what he's really trying to say is that the other company is bad. And I think the main takeaway here is that Sports Illustrated is incredible. It's incredible that they're letting us continue to do this show. I mean, it was really their decision whether or not it was going to continue. And yep. they, they stepped up big time. I loved SI. I've been reading SI since I was five years old. So obviously it's a uh, you know, kind of a bittersweet change. But at the same time, I'm very excited about the Washington Post. I just think it's a good fit with the people there, a good fit for what I'm able to do. 
Uh, I think the big takeaway from all of this, though, is that we tested the emergency broadcast system, Andrew, because I put out in my little tweet, my announcement, okay, hey, open floor is still going to continue. But I would say something like 500 people didn't read to the end of the three paragraph statement. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And they all collectively lost their minds. And so here's what I want to do, Andrew. I actually want to compare the open floor globe uh, to the Toronto termites, because I think we've got some just termite infestation among our listeners because they freaked out, Andrew. They panicked. I know one guy I tried to apply for my job in the email, basically trying to appeal to you to hire, yeah. hire him as a new co-host. So we've tested the emergency broadcast system. If we ever do actually go off the air, we are now prepared for thousands of people freaking out. But, you know, I appreciate all those messages. And, you know, Ultimately, our hope here is going forward, you know, regardless of, you know, who I'm writing for or whatever, the podcast shouldn't change. That's that's my goal. And uh, hopefully you share that goal, too, Andrew. Yeah, definitely. And I, I should add, in defense of our listeners who are a little freaked out, not everybody is good at reading the, like, serial killer font that you post <laughs> things on Twitter with. Um, I can think I, it is, Can I just say, you, that that was an inside joke, by the way, between the two of us. And I realized after the fact, when it was, like, <laughs> you know, going all over the place, that people would be like, what's wrong with this guy? But did you notice how I did announcement colon? Because you always make fun of yes. me for doing, like, audio colon, video colon. Um, so I did that it's on the, great. On the it's tweet. one of your trademarks. And, and you know what? My greatest regret from yesterday's announcement was not manually retweeting your Twitter announcement. Um, but alas, it is all very cool and very exciting. I'm, I'm really happy for you. And I'm sure the last 24 hours has been awkward because you're not really a congrats Twitter type of guy. However, you deserve all of this, you know? I mean, I've seen firsthand how hard you work, how consistent you are how borderline unhealthy you can become with some of the bigger projects like the top 100 and you absolutely earn this opportunity i speak for everyone at si when i say that we're going to miss you but you're going to kill it at the post and um i will not miss you because we're going to be talking for several hours each week and yeah, yeah. Say- just let me cut you off right there okay this is getting way too sappy all right don't <laughs> don't think you can butter me up with all this sweet talk and not have me come back at you when we're going to be debating here in five minutes no so- no no the only other thing i wanted to add though is that a number of people have have noted that in your serial killer uh announcement yesterday uh straight out of notepad you said that we're going to continue the pod through this season. And that is true. And a a number of people have said, man, like, so what happens next season? What happens from there? All I know is that both Ben and I are committed to doing this as long as we're able to. And like the first thing Ben said when he told me he was going to the post is I want to keep doing the podcast. And so both of us are kind of committed to making this work. And I wouldn't really worry about like the long-term future of open floor. I think I'm bullish. That was poor wording on my part. I think not to get all like Washington uh, Posty on you, Andrew, but the the state of our union is strong. Okay, people need to know that. And the other thing too is we're not the only ones who feel the outpouring of the open floor globe community. Like the people who actually make the decisions, the people who write the checks, the people who, uh, you know, decide content plans and so forth, they see and hear you guys out there. They saw yesterday and they also see the numbers from the last few months and they realize like, Hey, uh, this is something that should be continuing. So 
it will sound like the ultimate lip service to say the reason why the open floor will continue is because of the open floor globe. Like that's like the cheesiest and corniest thing. But in, from a factual standpoint, Andrew, that is true. Yeah, it, it's literally true. And seeing everybody kind of reach out over the last day or two has been very, very cool. And uh, listen, you feel free to get as posty as you want going forward here. You're a newspaper man now. You're an ink-stained wretch. I'm excited for your career. Uh, and- can, I, can I tell you something? It's so weird. I mean, when I was 24 years old, like not too far out of college, didn't really know what I was doing. Maybe 22. I can't really remember exactly, but... I actually was a paper boy for the Oregonian in Northwest Portland. <laughs> so I wake up at three or four a.m. and I'd go around door to door handing out newspapers. And there'd be sometimes I was just too tired to even do it, so I'd skip a house or two. I'd you know get back in the next day and have this long list of complaints, all the people who didn't get their paper. You know, I, in my whole head the, the whole time I'm just thinking, guys, just read it online. Like this is you know 21st century. <laughs> like it's all about digital media. Came up with Blazer's Edge and it was just all about being the outsiders and. Totally. Uh, so it's going to be a weird transition for me. And, but I've always, I mean, I've been reading newspapers since I could read. And I think, uh, you know, they're not just a newspaper anymore. Obviously, they have a major digital platform. And uh, I'm excited about being, being able to, to kind of uh, contribute on both of those. Yeah, it's. I'm still very pro newspaper. I, I like the, the feeling of a newspaper in the morning. Um, I have two more notes for you here before we can move on to actual basketball. The first one is a question. Did you, when you were talking to the Post and applying, did you show them the case for drafting Kevin Durant? No, I didn't. But it's funny because when I was doing draft Kevin Durant, I emailed Dan Steinberg for plugs like that uh-huh. that, that long ago. It was like he was on my list, Deadspin and Will Leach and Henry Abbott at True Hoop. That was like my email blast newsletter. Like every time I'd write a post, I'd make sure I sent that to them. So he definitely like linked me up just thinking I was an absolute psychopath at that point. And, you know, 10 years later, I'm like face to face with him in his office being like, <laughs> you're like, hey, man, thanks for those links all those years ago. And he, he was very friendly, very nice, exactly sort of what I expected. I mean, he's an OG in the uh, in the, you know, sports blog game. So totally it, it did feel like a full circle moment. Yeah, well, and for anyone who doesn't know, Ben got his start on the internet with draftkevindurant.blogspot.com, and it was an encyclopedic case for the Blazers to draft Kevin Durant. And uh, I, too, remember back in the day in, like, the 2009-2010 internet, emailing people, begging them to, like, link you up. And that was, like, a a core part of our start in this business. Uh, So that's a nice little flashback. But the last thing I wanted to say is this job was an awesome way for you to move past what happened against Ohio State this weekend. And I think that more than anything is why I was so glad to see the Internet's outpouring of Gulliver affection yesterday. Well, look, Andrew, we spent all of last week looking for the frauds. Remember that? We did like an entire (laughs) episode of the frauds. And little did we know that the frauds were staring back at us in the mirror the whole time. Michigan, plain sight. Michigan. So I drove 30 miles one way to get to this little diner that had like 1970s, like record, uh, you know, I don't know what you call them, pouches, you know, whatever you put the the music records in that were sort of like being used as wallpaper in this little side room in the middle of absolute nowhere. It was the only place I could find a TV. And I sat there and just took a four or five hour long, just 
beating, like just emotional, (laughs) (laughs) mental, psychological beating. And then I had to drive 30 miles back the other direction through the wilderness to like get back to the cabin that I was staying at. So just for any Ohio State fans out there who are, you know, feeling a little smirky about it, trust me, my pain was deeper than you could have ever hoped. (laughs) It's really, really dark. I couldn't believe it. I, I had been looking forward to that game for several weeks and I finally... I was driving back from where I was during uh, Thanksgiving week and driving back from Richmond and listening to that game on the radio got incredibly dark to the point where my wife asked me if we could please turn it off. So (laughs) that's where Michigan was this weekend. But uh, anyways, the pod lives. You're going to do great things at the post and I'm very excited about what's coming. Uh, But for now, Ben, it is time to talk hoops so let's get into it we'll start with this question from tommy in indonesia shout out indonesia he says hey guys if you had to bet your house and name just six teams in the western conference that are going to make the playoffs which teams do you put in as of today 538 gives the clips just a 43 percent shot at the playoffs and the grizz a 28 percent chance to make the playoffs Meanwhile, the Jazz are in 14th place, and 538 gives them an 84% shot to make it to May. So look, I'm not even asking for eight guaranteed playoff teams. I just need six. Give me six. What do you think, Ben? I can give you one. I mean, Golden State's going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a solid one. After that, it does get pretty tricky. I mean, this is a great question because it really is about sort of decision-making process, right? How much do you favor preseason expectations versus what we've actually seen on the court with the style of play change with some of these teams, you know, overhauling their rosters and looking different. Some teams getting a bunch of guys back healthy like Memphis and the Clippers looking like totally different teams. Uh, It's a great time to check in. I mean, I think my six would be Golden State, Houston, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, the Denver Nuggets, and I still believe in the Utah Jazz. Uh, how wow. about you? Wow. Man, uh, you're giving the Jazz and Lakers the benefit of the doubt. I don't think either team has really earned that at this point. Um, oh, well, let me let me just say real quick. I mean, obviously LeBron is the factor, but they're ahead of, of schedule in terms of where I thought they would be record-wise. I thought the Lakers were going to be digging out of a hole all season long. I, to me, LeBron is still coasting. And so if they're already you know, comfortably above 500 at this point of the season, I think they're going to be okay. Uh, in terms of Utah there's a lot wrong there's no question about it like they took a really really ugly loss the other night to indiana that was like painful to watch not as painful as michigan but certainly (laughs) still painful but they've had a really screwed up schedule they've had way more road games than home games they're obviously pretty good at home or at least have been these last couple of years i just think that they're one of those teams where it's going to balance out and uh, they're maybe not going to be as good as we thought they would be, but they'll still be in that like six, seven, eight range and, and make it in. Yeah, what freaks me out with them is that their strengths don't appear to be half as strong as they were last year. And some of that is probably the, the changing pace like league wide. But it's just it's a real red flag to me that Gobert has not been able to be very effective. Um, and then you know, we got top 50 Derek Favors is also kind of muddling through right now. It's, yeah, it's dark it, it, for Utah. I, I wouldn't write them off entirely, but I would, as far as locks are concerned, and granted, 
this podcast and particularly my personal history with bet your house locks is not great. So I want to be careful. Um, I would say the Warriors. I would say the Nuggets. Um, I'm going to say the Blazers. And then, you know, the Grizzlies at 12 and 7 right now. The Thunder at 12 and 7. Oh, the Rockets, I'll, I'll call a lock, although they've now lost three straight games after their little bounce back uh, post-Mellow, the dead Mellow bounce. But beyond those, it's it gets tricky. Like I, the, the thing I worry about with both Memphis and Oklahoma City is, is one bad injury and one kind of like month-long swoon that comes with that injury could be pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, real quick on favors, I think it's time to to shift his role. I mean, if I was rejiggering things for the Jazz, I would basically just make him a backup center and you just get backup minutes to go bare and that's it. Um, yeah. And just try to modernize a little bit. I think that they are running into some stylistic questions that we mentioned earlier, and he's absolutely sort of been kind of the, the chief casualty there. I also wonder, this is random, but like, would you consider as a Wizards fan, a team that needs a long-term centerpiece, would you have any interest in trading for a Derek Favors or no? Um, well, the, the issue there is I'm not sure Favors really is a long-term centerpiece. I feel like he's already dealt with injuries over the last few years and he's, he's kind of young. I mean, he's, I think 28 years old, but he's also been in the league for almost a decade at this point. And, um, I just don't necessarily trust his next four or five years. Okay, but remember, your your alternatives are Dwight and Jan Mahinmi. So, like, <laughs> I, I, the bar I, he's, is he's low. Not, don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's not on a crazy contract. I mean, I just wonder if there's some trade value there where there's a team out there that, that has a hole at center, and it, it might be time to, to look at that for them. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. definitely time for them to explore all options to try and get some more firepower in there to help Donovan Mitchell. I don't know. My six here, I would say Clippers. And I, I, the Clippers are another team where I'm not really sure how much I should trust any of this. But uh, Clippers, Warriors, Nuggets, Blazers, Rockets, and the Thunder. I think that we were so down on the Thunder a month ago that we jinxed them into a playoff spot. Let's have a little reckoning on the Clippers because you had so many guffaws at my expense to start the season when I said, hey, this is good, clean, wholesome family fun. You know, <laughs> These guys go out there and play hard. They have a nice spirit about themselves. Now, I don't know if I'm completely sold on the Clippers to be in this top six conversation. I do yeah. think there may even still be a little bit of uneasiness like just around the team in terms of like it feels just a little bit too good to be true and they've been burned by injuries and and locker room chemistry and all sorts of stuff you know in recent years so i think there's kind of they're, they're keeping their success at arm's length if that makes sense like they're not all the way bought in um but this has been a dream start for them they've gotten really nice seasons from like, tobias harris uh gallinari you know just up and down the list guys who maybe are forgotten about and yeah. they have they have lived up to sort of what i told you preseason which is like they play hard they like each other they don't have ego issues They've got a little bit of, uh, you know, the Montrez Harrell factor where like, look, if, if you come in playing soft on any given night, if you're the Wizards and you just want to take the night off on defense, good luck. He is going to punish you. And um, it's just been a great mix. I, I would say they are good, clean, wholesome, family fun. <laughs> are you ready to agree with me? This is the reckoning. 
I I do agree with you. I think I was mocking your faint praise when we talked about them a month ago. Uh, but all of that is now very applicable to what's happening in, in L.A. I mean, Montrezl Harrell has been awesome. Tobias Harris, we got a question from Brian who asked if if we were to redo the top 100 uh, after the first 20 games, which I understand is against your rules. Um would Tobias Harris make the biggest jump of anyone in the NBA? And without looking at the list specifically, I feel like he would because he's just been playing his ass off for, for the Clippers for the last month. And he's been so much more consistent than I remember him being. Uh, and I, he, Isn't again, it so like, funny how contract years can go one of two ways? <laughs> it, can, it can either bring like the absolute best out of you and you just crush it and like you're having the, the greatest year of your life or you could be the, te- the guy that presses or doesn't have the right situation and pouts and worries about his numbers and all that stuff. I feel like he's he is on track for like a textbook contract year, isn't he? Yeah, and I I have to say when he turned down the I believe it was an eighty million dollar deal he was offered over the summer, I kind of made a mental note and was like I think Tobias Harris is going to regret that, and uh, he's played he's played his ass off and the Clippers are are really fun in part because you never really know how they're going to find ways to beat some of these teams but like the second half against the Blazers I I believe it was Sunday night. They came back and and just looked great. And Gallinari staying healthy has been uh, a fun little wrinkle too. That I think I I think everybody had sort of assumed that Gallinari had one foot out of the league and was just going to play out the the rest of this contract playing like thirty to forty games a year. So we'll knock on wood that he stays healthy. But um, it's been fun to remember how good he can be too. Yeah, no question. In terms of the the uh, the listener's question on which guys would make the biggest jump, of course we don't do that midseason. That's a really easy way to make mistakes. But some of the guys who have outperformed their rankings so far, uh, I would say Mark Gasol, Pascal Siakam, Kemba Walker, yeah. DeMontis Sabonis, Tobias Harris, Danilo Gallinari, and then De'Aaron Fox. I mean, some of those guys weren't even on the list, and you know, those guys are all off to pretty nice starts and and looking like significantly better players right now than we forecasted or talked about or just thought about when Rob and I were doing that list back in August and September. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Gasol, and that's a nice segue into this question from Malcolm, who says, Hey guys, I'm a dedicated listener and a Grizz fan, and I'm sending this email to say that it's been disappointing to hear you guys continue to ignore my favorite team. They are winners of five straight, tied for the best defense in the league with the Celtics, and Memphis is home to the NBA's newest unicorn in Jaron Jackson Jr. So I ask you, please put some respect on our name. What needs to be done to convince you guys that the Grizzlies belong in the playoffs, and may even win a round or two. Um, First of all, we should note that after Malcolm's email, the Grizzlies survived the Spurs with a one-point win and then lost to the Clippers in overtime and lost to the Knicks at home, which is not great. Uh, but at the time of his email, the Grizzlies were first Andrew, in the West. <laughs> this guy says, put some respect on my name. You're just going to nitpick their little schedule well, losses. Come I'm, on, man. What I'm doing is cautioning listeners against jinxing their own team. I feel like there is a, a, a we got like 
three or four emails about the Grizzlies uh, demanding recognition for them once they hit first place in the West, and then things immediately went sideways. Hey, but, I'm with it. We never talk about the Grizzlies. They deserve we don't. the respect. <laughs> and look, I want to put respect on one man's one name. That would be okay. Jaron. This guy, <laughs> the, here, here's why you need to start getting into Jaron. I'm going to bring a new pitch to you because I've been trying to tell you how great this guy is, and you've just been yep. giving me lip service for a month straight. He's a fantasy star, Andrew. This guy goes like six for six on threes and then has like nine blocks. Like he has the weirdest stat lines. And they're not like weird, haha, hey, you know, James Harden had a triple double with turnovers last night, weird. They're like, holy cow, this guy really is a unicorn at 19 years old, putting up just weird, like Kevin Garnett style uh, stat lines that we really hardly ever see from anybody, especially at that age. So. I'm appealing to the fantasy basketball player in you. Trade for <laughs> trade for Jaron, and he will become your new favorite player. Yeah, you know, I would, except that I'm in a fantasy league with someone who's a diehard Michigan State fan, and so they drafted Jaron Jackson Jr. like six rounds too early. But, uh, but I'm with you that his, his game is already so much further along than I ever would have expected. And I'm wondering... If you could redraft now, would you take Jaron Jackson Jr. number one? I mean, was Luca still going to be in the redraft, or are you just going to slight him? You know, just no, no, you can keep Luca in there. I, personally, Look, Luke, I would well, rather I, have Jaron Jackson Jr. than Luca. I would have taken Luca number one in the 2018 draft in 1992. I would have taken him number one <laughs> last year. I would have taken him number one in June. I would take him number one right now. And I will take him number one in five years from now. You finally have to see what this guy is doing for Dallas. I mean, they're competitive this season because of him. He is having a huge impact as a rookie. He would be number one. After that, I take, uh, you know, Jaron over DeAndre Ayton, no questions asked, over Bagley, no questions asked. The Trey yeah. Young thing would really tantalize me, man. Like, I would have a really hard time passing on Trey, even though he's had a pretty rough start to the season in terms of shooting. But, um, you know, we expect that to improve, obviously. But I think Jaron would be no lower than third. <laughs> Did you see Jaron got an Instagram shout-out from the official NBA account? They They tagged him at Jaron. Well, look, Andrew, I am the influencer who influences other influencers, right? I've been telling you about Jaron now for months. I've been saying how great his Instagram handle is. It's very shout-outable. It's so short, just five characters. It's, yeah. And you were mocking me again. You were saying, oh, he's not really that exciting of a player when we were talking about, like, the next Giannis is up the world. The guy is really fun to watch. I mean, I think that there's a real tendency, especially among national media, obviously we're not watching the Grizzlies that much on a regular yeah. basis. I think there was a tendency to say, oh, it's just, you know, grit and grind. Here it is, grit and grind. I watched a lot of grit and grind basketball, Andrew. Nobody on those rosters is doing physically the type of highlight level plays and the type of smooth three-pointers from that big position. They haven't had a guy like that. This is not your typical grit and grind. He's something different. And this transition between him and Gasol in terms of whose team it is, that was a real question for me when they drafted him in terms of like timeline. You know, can right. you trade Gasol, clear things out for him? But I think they've got him on a pretty good plan here where it's like, okay, just show us everything you can do as a rookie. If you have the foul trouble, if you have some inconsistency, hey, that's okay. Eventually, this will be your team two or three years from now, and they'll probably move him you know, to that full-time center spot and have a really moderate and nice team. But for now, Gasol is playing much, much better than last year. We were real hard on him last year, especially I was. 
he's had a huge bounce back season, probably hasn't gotten a lot of attention for it, and they're making it work. And I and I do think the emailer is correct. Uh, they deserve some respect. Yeah, it's it's very cool, and uh, and I think both you and I back in October felt like the Grizz were basically kind of trying to have it both ways and weren't going to be a, an effective rebuilding team and also weren't going to really make any noise in the West. And uh, right now, Jaron Jackson Jr., his his ceiling is so high that they they have the hopes of a team that's actually like effectively rebuilding, and then they are out there winning games and it's going to be tough to to beat them as long as Gasol and Conley stay healthy and uh that's well, been hold true on. for the a- last four years answer your own question though who how does your redraft go um I would take Jaron Jackson Jr. number one and Whoa, then <laughs> outflanking me I love it no I I think his defensive versatility is crazy and his offense like I said is just a lot further along than I expected and uh and then I would take Aiton number two, oh, and God. well, actually, Come I don't know. On, Andrew, don't do this. You don't yeah. want to be on this side of history. Don't do it. I don't know the 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 Luca the Luca thing is tough, man, because he's basically exactly what we thought he was. I mean, his floor is really high, and I still am not sure about his ceiling. Whereas I think if you could teach DeAndre Aiton defense he could be really <laughs> really good um but that's a big if um lucas defense isn't great either i don't know all i know is that jared jackson jr would be my number one and then after that it gets murky and depends on who who's drafting if we can just teach him defense i mean usually when we describe holes in guys game we're thinking of like swiss cheese holes like smaller holes <laughs> what, what you're describing by teaching him all of defense is like a wrecking ball through the side of like a new house well yeah and it's also it's twice as important with a big man it's funny i saw nate jones was on twitter talking about this a couple days ago and he said that the big man uh he, he said that Big men on defense are like point guards on offense, and I, I think that's a really smart way to explain it. And um, I'm not sure how I'd feel if DeAndre Ayton were my defensive point guard, and so that's going to yeah. be kind of an adventure over the next four or five years. It would feel like Jerry and Grant running your offense is what it would feel like. <laughs> exactly. So it's a concern, but uh, I don't know. All the rookies do look pretty good and fun and interesting so far, so I think it's a win for the league in general. Um, oh, this is an awesome class. Let's underscore that. This is a really, really cool, fun, different, unique, vibrant, yeah. You know, throw every other word you want in there. Uh, last year's rookies got a lot of attention and deservedly so. This year's rookies are right there with them. Yeah, and and they're all kind of just unorthodox enough to keep you interested. It's not like they're all like guaranteed superstars, um, but they all have their moments. So I'm excited to see where it goes. But for now, moving on, we've got to talk. Let's shift to the Eastern Conference. Let's talk Kawhi. Stavros in Sydney says, were Pop's leadership comments a coincidence or was that a response to this Bleacher Report article painting Kawhi Leonard as a victim? And he has a link to the article and it has one quote uh, which Stav highlighted, which says, the San Antonio Mafia is real, an executive said. When the godfather Popovich speaks, they're coming for you. He's the nicest kid in the world, and all of a sudden he's an evil villain? 
No, he's not an angry kid. He's a sweetheart. Obviously, they're talking about Kawhi there. Um, what was your read on the whole Kawhi leadership kerfuffle this week? San Antonio, Mafia, Godfather, go ahead and call me a foot soldier, okay? I'm going to do Pop's <laughs> bidding. You know I don't forget, Andrew. This is a, a really, uh, to me, pathetic and, and thin attempt to rewrite history. I mean, he might be a nice guy. The nice guy bailed on his teammates. We can go back through all the incidents you and I recounted as they were going on, not showing up during the playoffs, not giving public interviews, not even just releasing a 15-second clip. Come on, he might be a nice guy. He did not act like a nice guy. I haven't forgotten. And clearly, uh, Greg Popovich hasn't forgotten either. I loved him taking a dig at Kawhi Leonard's uh, leadership ability. I know that's, you know, kind of for some people, it's a little too personal or it's or it's sour grapes or it's bitter. But, you know, to me, facts are facts. And, you know, Kawhi kind of hit him with the, oh, that's just funny to me. Okay, Kawhi, we know that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not mad. I'm actually laughing. It, well, so here's the thing. First of all, full disclosure, part of me was just teeing you up to let you go off on Kawhi because I I read the Popovich quote and then I read the Kawhi response and my first thought was, yeah, I'm sure Golliver has some takes on this one. <laughs> um, Couldn't agree more. But the thing is, I you know, Popovich isn't, I don't even read it as a dick. Here's what he said. He said, Kawhi was a great player, but he wasn't a leader or anything. Manu and Patty were the leaders. Kawhi's talent will always be missed, but leadership wasn't his deal at the time. That may come as he progresses, but Manu and Patty filled that role last year, and LaMarcus came a long way in that regard also. Like, that really is just factual, you know? Like, I, Kawhi and Pop probably do have some unresolved issues, and God only knows, like, how complicated that relationship got as last year unfolded but as far as this is concerned you know like Kawhi wasn't a leader and and I think everybody knew that and that's that's fine no it's a great point I think it's indisputable but we know how sensitive these guys are would Steve Kerr ever say that about Kevin Durant right now you know what I mean would any other uh you know coach who is you know coaching a contender with a top 10 player trying to build around him get the most out of him if he's not that natural born leader, he's not the vocal guy, you know, he tries to hide behind the, the lead by example, uh, you know, mantra, they're never yeah. going to get called out by their coaches. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Popovich raises this issue now compared to in the middle of last year's saga when he's still trying to keep, you know, Kawhi on board. Obviously, he, he respects and wishes that they still had Kawhi's talent, but I do think it's indisputable. And I, I think. Uh, you know, people shouldn't be, you know, quick to call this sour grapes. I, I think it's more just a case of like, look, that's not who he was. And we know what real leaders look like down there in San Antonio. These guys are experts on leaders. Greg Popovich yeah. is a great leader. Tim Duncan's one of the greatest leaders of all time. Manu is an incredible teammate and, and a great leader. So that's a pretty unfair standard for almost any player. Uh, and the only right. reason Kawhi got bunched into that conversation was because of how good he is. Yeah, Kawhi is great as a player and was sort of the franchise guy down there for a couple years. Um, it's it's tricky to me because the as far as the Popovich side of this, I feel like he was just giving an honest answer, and this wasn't calculated. This wasn't a response to some anonymous executive in the Bleacher Report feature or whatever, um, although I appreciate the conspiracy theory from Stav. Uh, the... The thing is, though, the Kawhi side of it, 
I kind of went through a progression because he did. He came came out and pushed back against Popovich and said, I lead by example and yada, yada, yada. And on the one hand, I immediately started to sort of clown him for that because it's like, who are you kidding, Kawhi? Like, we all lived through last year. Come <laughs> yeah. on, man. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, Pop was the one who brought up his leadership in the first place, and Kawhi was asked about it by Toronto media. And at that point, it's not like he could just come out and say, yeah, you know what? I just don't really care about being a leader. That's never been a priority for me. Like, I feel like that kind of honesty would be counterproductive for Kawhi at this point in his career. I mean, even the termites would be a little concerned by that answer. So in that sense, I understand that he sort of had to push back against what Popovich was talking about. The thing is, though, it would have been perfectly acceptable for him to just say, yes, like San Antonio did have other leaders while I was there. And then last year got really weird for everyone. And that's part of what I love so much about being in Toronto. And I look forward to the challenge of being a leader for the Raptors. Oh, you know and what he could have done, Andrew? He could have about leading by example. Yeah, but he also could have just said, hey, I screwed up last year. I bailed on my teammates. I was a <laughs> well, yeah, see, I mean, like, that's, well, that's what you're asking for. <laughs> well, he can't run away from the facts. That's the problem. I mean, everyone has to square themselves with things, you know, about their own weaknesses or their own behavior. You have to be able to rationalize it at some point. So I understand why he would kind of want to brush these uh you know, these criticisms off. But, you know, deep down, Kawhi knows it's true. You know, Popovich knows it's true. He knows Popovich is a fair judge of character. <laughs> and he knows that he he bailed on the Spurs. I mean, it's not that complicated. We just need to come out and say it. I'm glad Pop is saying it. I would like him to take it even further and say, look, we never thought in a million years the guy we were going to hand the franchise over to after Duncan was going to completely bail on us and not even care. How are we supposed to predict that? I mean, if he came out and said that, I think we'd all be in a better place and, you know, Kawhi could get to sort of the reckoning that he clearly doesn't want to have. Yeah. See, this this is what I was looking for from you with this question. <laughs> it's like, but deep I, down, Kawhi knows it's true. Let's l- peer into Kawhi Leonard's soul. Let, let me ask you this, though. Isn't that just as indisputable as what you were saying earlier, though? I mean, doesn't he know he left them? How could he not? I mean, there was no real explanation well, for his behavior. Come on. I feel like he's got a lot of people around him who are rationalizing last season in a way that would be kind of insane to the rest of us who watched it all play out. Um, I feel you, but you know who else has a lot of people around them, Andrew? Every NBA star. Frankly, every NBA player. Guess what, Andrew? I've got people around me. Not really, but I could if I wanted to. Like, If you're going to (laughs) let other people steer you wrong, make your decisions for you, and not just be an adult, Kawhi is an adult, okay? I don't think we need to make these excuses for him or, or beat around the bush or any of that. He needs to own his exit, and he still hasn't done it. Yeah, I think you're dead on. And one other point I saw mentioned is that um, leading by example isn't really leading. And Matt Moore was someone who brought this up on Twitter a couple days ago. And I thought that was interesting because you mentioned Tim Duncan. um, And uh, some people have kind of pushed back against Popovich saying, look, Tim Duncan is exactly the same kind of silent leader that Kawhi was in San Antonio. And he did a lot of leading by example, the same way Kawhi claims he did. No way. And yeah, I'm curious for, for your read on it because my sense is that Duncan Duncan's public persona was very different than who he was behind the scenes in San Antonio. And you, you listen to various Spurs talk about life with Duncan over the last 20 years. And like, the guy they're describing seems pretty fun and seems nothing like the guy we got to know in public. And uh, and so 
I think it's sort of misleading to kind of conflate them, com- conflate Duncan and, and Kawhi into the same sort of archetype. I'm going to say is this. If Duncan stared into your soul, like <laughs> like he like he used to stare at the referees, Andrew, would you not yeah. feel completely obligated to give your absolute best every single day, 365 days a year? If he gave you those bug eyes, those, those bug eyes, if, yeah. If he hit you with those before practice because you screwed up a you know a drill or you showed up late or whatever, if Tim Duncan gave you that look, do you really think that you'd be able to be like, nah, bro, I'm good, you know? Heck no. And Kawhi is just not that same type of guy. And I understand there's a difference you know, between leading by example, quiet leadership, whatever. It's about setting the standard that everybody else has to live up to. And when you're the best player and you're just not showing up and you're not around and you're not even really taking part in team meetings and they're basically calling you to the carpet and you're blowing them off and whatever else, like there's no comparison there. And I do think it there may be a little bit too much said on the raw raw stuff right like as a media conglomerate we all love to yeah. celebrate guys like Draymond right who are just like getting on their teammates wow what a great leader like I do right. think that that's not always positive there are different ways to do it but just because they didn't both talk very much in public doesn't mean you can say oh Kawhi's the next Tim Duncan come on yeah I I agree with that and I would also add that and part of what I was alluding to a couple minutes ago is, you know, leading by example helps, but it's maybe half as helpful as somebody who's willing to sort of get active. And uh, and we saw that with the Warriors, too. I mean, some of what Steph has done speaking out in the days following the Draymond Durant shit show, like, see, it, it helps. And and if, if things work out for Golden State this year, I think that Steph Curry is going to be a huge part of, like, bridging the gap between Draymond and Durant and um and there are just there are times in any season in any workplace where somebody needs to speak up and uh and an example only goes so far okay I've I've thought of the perfect way to crystallize the difference between Tim Duncan and Kawhi Leonard okay (laughs) here it comes what do all the experts players say about Tim Duncan is he was willing to let Popovich ream him out in practice he was willing to be screamed out to be the example to be the guy that every you know if Popovich needed to make a point about their collective focus, he could rip into Duncan, and Duncan would show up early the next morning. Not no hard feelings, no complaints. He would be the standard setter, right? Yeah. Kawhi's not even in the gym, Andrew. He didn't show up for six months. We couldn't even find him. Popovich wanted to rip into him, and he was off in New York, you know, working out at the National Basketball Players Association. He's not even there. That is the difference. Duncan was yeah. always there, and he had the thick skin. He could take it, and he would use it productively, Kawhi disappeared like a ghost. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, Kawhi wanted special treatment, and that was part of his beef with the Spurs, is that they weren't affording him the kind of amenities that other teams give to superstars, and that was, like I guess, part of the problem. Although, who, who really knows what the problem was? The only thing I would add is another thing that like old Spurs teammates say about Duncan is that he was hilarious behind the scenes and that he was like a lot of fun to hang out with. Never really heard that with Kawhi. He was always just sort of, we got like reclusive vibes from him all along the way. No doubt. One other just completely tangent point here. Yeah. Talent does matter a lot more than some of this stuff. If you're an elite talent, like for example, how many Raptors fans have emailed us to say over the last, you know, two months, 
boy, Toronto really misses DeMar DeRozan. Boy, his amazing personality and locker room leadership is just really absent. Yeah. We haven't gotten one of those emails, Andrew. We've been getting emails about DeMar for like four straight years, right? Because I'm kind of hard on his game or whatever else. But if you're Kawhi Leonard and you're, you know, significantly like 30 or 40% better than DeMar DeRozan, if you're missing that last little piece, you know, it's not going to necessarily affect your team. Right win losses early in the season it's not going to uh you know affect your ability to win games at a high level but it may prevent you from getting all the way to the top right when you're going against teams like uh, you know golden state or, or houston last year you need to have a super duper strong leader a very clear identity and i think that's what we're sort of waiting for Kawhi to to do and you know it just may not come i'm not holding my breath i'll say that but i do think uh you know the flip side of this you could argue is well you could be the best guy in the locker room in the world you're still DeMar DeRozan or you're still Patty Mills. You're not Kawhi Leonard. Right. And uh, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. And, and I would add only that the, the the Raptors fans, every time they've brought up DeMar DeRozan in emails to us over the last like six weeks, everyone is very careful to say, I love DeMar. I'm happy for him. I hope he does well in San Antonio. So there's no like, it's not that they've turned their backs entirely. It's just hard to argue with the idea that Kawhi is better. And no. well, well, we don't have to invent a, a leadership narrative to sort of support that idea. Kawhi could just be a better player who doesn't necessarily lead. Well, that that's exactly right, Andrew. Those Raptors fans, they think with their heart. They always did with DeRozan. And we're just here to think with our heads, right? We're going to try to explain to them why, <laughs> you know, what his shortcomings were, why they fell a little bit too much in love with him. And I'm glad they're wishing him well. He's having a fine season in San Antonio. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're the Raptors, uh, the risk from this summer was absolutely worth taking. And it's paying off, you know, fairly well even if Kawhi is going to kind of get, uh, you know, blindsided by Popovich every couple months uh, with some, uh, you know, residual angst over his behavior. Moving on and keeping keeping it in Texas. Um, I like how that's, that last segment went on about five minutes too long. Uh, but continuing in Texas, but Mike Andrew, says... That's my sweet spot. You knew that was going to happen. You dropped this no question, question in here about leadership, Popovich, and Kawhi. You think it's going to be a two-minute segment? Come on now. You're smarter than well, that. Well, yeah, and it was bringing Duncan into it that I think really cut even deeper and brought out the best in you. Um, but here is Mike who says, Good news, everyone. The worst celebration in sports is back. And then he has a clip of James Harden doing his nosebleed celebration against my Wizards in a loss on Monday night. And I'm just including this because, um, number one, to be completely honest, when all of this happened, I had no idea that he was doing a celebration. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh, that's pretty weird. Like, I guess his nose got caught on the net or he might, like, the net kind of scraped his face or something because he put his head in his hands for a second. And um, and it wasn't until Mike sent this email that I realized James Harden is still trying to make fake nosebleeds a cool celebration. And uh, I'm kind of flabbergasted that it's a real thing. He called for the trainer, Andrew. He called for the trainer's attention on the bench as part of his selling of the really? fake. Yeah, well, you, you need to see the clip. Go back and watch the clip. He called for the trainer. This is a new low to me. And I, I saw one <laughs> of the, I think one of the Wizards beat writers was trying to claim that this is one of the best celebrations going in the NBA. 
that could not have been an honest take. That had to be like one of those. I'm just trying to get ratioed, maybe <laughs> up my followers' takes because it's terrible and it only gets worse. And the thing is, it's been going on for a long time, so I'm almost immune to it because I've seen him do it so many times now. But calling for the trainer and like refusing to high five your teammates <laughs> because you're pretending that your nose is falling off, it's too much, Andrew. I cannot believe he called for the trainer. All of this is mind-blowing to me. This should be one of the biggest stories in sports. The the idea that James Harden is trying to make this celebration happen. Uh, uh, let me ask you, though. You also just don't like Harden. Is there any other star player who, if they did this celebration, you would actually like it? Is this a Harden thing, or is it just a dumb celebration thing? I think it's no. kind of both for you, but... Like yeah. what if, if Steph was doing it or is there somebody else out there, you know, one of your favorite guys, Donovan Mitchell? I mean, is there anyone where you would get excited for this? No, there's really no one in the NBA for whom this would be acceptable behavior. I do kind of enjoy it, though, because it validates like years worth of skepticism of James Harden as a superstar. Um, but I don't know. I mean, on the on the other hand, I'm, I'm kind of impressed that he actually has the gall to do this during several NBA games it sounds like I don't know I somehow I've missed this I, I saw him do it like once or twice no, last he, he, year he's done it at least 10 times I mean I think what we need to do is let's get every single one of his teammates on the record right now and then as they sort of like get traded or, or they get you know lost in free agency <laughs> yes. in the future let's go back to every single one of them like can we get like a before Trevor Ariza and an after Trevor Ariza a before <laughs> Luke Mbamute and an after Mbamute quotes on how they feel about the celebration because Andrew like they have to go along with it like he's doing this goofy thing and they're like hey, cool James that's awesome yeah. like, you can see it you can see it on their faces and in their body language God, that is a great idea for a story. We're going to have to start surveying hardened teammates over the next 12 months, and we'll we'll come up with something. This will um, be the new behind enemy lines for the preview issue. Exactly. <laughs> like, get the anonymous rival players, like, dissing James Harden's uh, oh, uh, celebration. Yes, yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, but, by the way, that's a good segue to our next question, which is from Nick, who says... The Sixers should trade Markel Fultz to the Suns for Trevor Ariza. The Sixers get shooting, defense, an expiring contract, and a proven vet. The Suns get a young point guard, and Fultz is allowed to regroup in a low-pressure environment. Um, Do you have any thoughts there? Because my initial thought is that that sounds like a great deal for the Sixers, and I'm really not sure why the Suns would do it. Boy, that is really, really sad. Think about how fast. Like, if what if I told you on draft night you could get Trevor Ariza for the number one pick? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, come on. Um, He's had some good years in, in Houston, at least. I, I don't really know what to make of the, the latest turns of the Fultz saga. I mean, to me, he's kind of taking his ball and going home, right? Like, he lost his role. Jimmy basically usurped him. He understands the writing's on the wall, and he doesn't really have the role that he probably even thought he would have two months ago. He hasn't figured out the yip stuff at all. He's having all these you know issues when he's shooting, especially at the free throw line. He's got to yeah. be lost in searching. I do not think the answer for a player in that situation is to play for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, this team has done a pretty pitiful job of developing project type players over the last five years, six years. I don't think structurally the organization is where it needs to be to sort of take on that kind of a heavy lift. Um, yeah. And so from that standpoint, you know, if I was Phoenix, 
like you really want to go for that talent. You want to just like picture the mirage of like Fultz and Booker, like this dream backcourt of the future. Uh, oh, you've got a, a big three with, uh, you know, DeAndre Ayton as well. You know, I would be tempted to do it just if for no other reason than you've already paid Ariza and like he would, you know, what's what's his long-term future there, right? Like, isn't he going to start angling for a buyout here within like two months? Um, yeah. So from that standpoint, I you know, like if, I guess there's two separate questions. One, how serious is this deal? I don't think it's that serious. Two, if you're Phoenix, would you take a flyer on him? And I would say, yes, they should, but I don't think it would work because of, of who they've been here the last, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the the Suns, I just don't know how you buy in to Markel Fultz at this point in his career, and that, that sucks to say out loud. Um, but, you know, it's the calculus that every NBA team is going to be doing over the next two months because it does seem like the Sixers are going to try to move him. And uh, and they should, by the way. Do you know how much Markel Fultz is making next year? Uh, I don't offhand. What, like seven or eight or nine? Yeah, it's $9 million, which is like the equivalent of what you would pay a pretty good role player i mean he well number one picks are supposed to be really good andrew that's the thing (laughs) i know well i've been thinking of him on this rookie deal and over thanksgiving i i saw a note that said like he's making nine million next year and then if a team picks up his option he's due 12 million like that's real money that's not just some throwaway rookie deal and that's real money that the sixers are going to need to clear if they want to have room to kind of really build this team over the summer um, and I, you know, I got a couple of questions for you. Is he really a point guard like the email are suggesting? Because I don't think he is. And then if he's not, what about a team like Brooklyn that already had some success going yeah. after a D'Angelo Russell and, and playing the fallen stars, low expectations? Let's try to build these guys back up. Formula. I mean, could you see a situation where Russell and Fultz two years from now is a pretty good backcourt? Uh, I could. I mean, why not? Maybe. I mean, you know, first of all, D'Angelo, my guy, having a, a good couple of weeks here. I don't want to get too excited, but um, some some signs of life on D'Angelo Russell Island. The Fultz side of it, here's the thing. Like, I think things have gotten dark enough now that if Fultz were to ever come back and play at an all-star level, it would be one of the craziest stories in the last like 40 years of NBA history. And it would be really cool if we should all root for it. But, um, I mean, it's not particularly realistic. I do think if we're if we're picking out teams across the league where Fultz would have the best shot, Brooklyn is near the top of the list. And, and they also, you know, they're probably going to be spinning their wheels in free agency this summer and, and don't seem likely to land anyone big enough to really make a difference. So they've got money to, to sort of roll the dice with a year or two of Fultz. What about Atlanta? You know, him and Trey. I mean, I'm just trying to think of these situations where, like, there is literally zero pressure. They already have a point guard in place. He could be part of, like, a a dynamic backcourt duo, and he could just, you know, basically have no one watching him as he relearns how to play basketball. I think those are sort of the key factors, and I feel like Brooklyn, Atlanta, check those boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Phoenix— I don't know. I, I think we're just searching out like the the teams that have no real hope of relevance, and um, and that's tough. It's I, I the Ariza example, trading Ariza for the t- the number one pick, and me. My take on that is that it's lopsided for the <laughs> Sixers. <laughs> this is dark, man. But hopefully, hopefully something changes soon. Um, 
In brighter news, though, Kevin, our resident Orlando Magic superfan, has been emailing us uh, on and off for the last couple of weeks. And here's one where Not he says... Not just the last couple of weeks. This guy's been emailing us for four years straight. He was emailing after summer league victories, Andrew. I mean, Kevin is all the way in. He's so hyped. And don't, isn't this finally Kevin's moment right now? <laughs> it really is. It really is. Kevin, an open floor OG, says, Just FYI, the Orlando Magic have beaten the Celtics, Sixers, Heat, Spurs, and Lakers. I'm not getting ahead of myself, but the Magic are progressing. And, of course, he got ahead of himself last year when we had th- this conversation after three weeks of good Magic games. But this year, it seems a little realer. What have you seen from Orlando? Well, they have all those wins, and they also had a moral win over Golden State the other night. I mean, they had to yeah. push 49 points out of Kevin Durant, which was uh, you know impressive game from him. But you know, just for Orlando, I mean, that's a confidence booster, even if the other guys were out injured. Uh, I think a, a few different things. They have such a better spirit, you know, competitiveness around them. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, really exciting young players. I mean, I remember going back to the draft. I was like, look, I'm going to watch whoever drafts Mo Bamba. And you're like, well, rookie year, that could be rough. This guy makes some plays. I mean, he, he's starting to figure it out a little bit. He's blocking shots sometimes with, with his elbows at rim level. I mean, he's just really freakish inside. Uh, you know, they were getting a nice season out of Vucevic, nice season out of uh, DJ Augustin, which is something I never thought I would say in a million years. You just go yeah. up and down the, the the roster, they're getting, you know, overachieving individual performances. But to me, collectively, it comes down to Steve Clifford needs a little credit here. He's not a guy we really talk yeah. about. Steve Clifford deserves a lot of credit. <laughs> I mean, because all of these guys had one foot out of the league. I mean, not all of them, but like, DJ Augustine is a great example. He's kind of like the new Jameer Nelson where you look up and you're like, how how are you doing this? How are you still doing this? I didn't even know you were in the league four years ago and you're still here in Orlando. Um, and it, that's kind of like the flip side of Orlando not getting a point guard as we get to enjoy the DJ Augustine renaissance. Um, and But even like Terrence Ross has looked pretty good for them. Uh, Fournier is still doing his Fournier thing where he can he can score. The Vucevic is the guy who has been pretty mind-boggling to me. Like his numbers through the first six weeks compare favorably across the board to Nikola Jokic. And granted, he's five years older and playing in an easier conference, but uh, but I mean he's been the better player for the first month and a half of, this, of the season, and that's kind of insane. No, it really is. I mean, going back to Clifford real quick, I don't know if he's the coach who takes your good team to a great team, but if you have like a hazmat situation, like if you need somebody to (laughs) clean up a serious disaster, Clifford's your guy. I mean, he did very well at Charlotte in that, you know, first situation, and he has really turned around a sad kind of depressing, uh, you know, rough culture down there. And look, a lot of the guys he's getting good years out of guys who we're mentioning here, they've been there, Andrew. They've been dealing with this nonsense for years, and I was trying to think, like, when was the last time Orlando was actually this fun? And I feel like the ball was in Hidu Turkoglu's hands a lot. I mean, we're going back like yeah. 10 years where they've had this kind of, a, you know, a vibrancy to them. And to me, that's a lot of credit to Clifford. Now, how long can he make that stick? You know, does this wind up being an organization that turns itself around and continues to hover around 500 this season? You know, that I think that definitely remains to be seen. I mean, skepticism is warranted there. Um, but I, I think that would be big for this organization as a whole. I mean, they've they've just been forgotten about for you know at least the last five years, 
if they can just, you know, hang in that, you know, middle pack of the Eastern Conference, can we get to the eighth or the ninth or the tenth seed and prolong that until after the All Star break? I mean, to me, most of the time I make fun of those types of teams. You know, it's like, oh, congratulations, eight seed in the Eastern Conference, really impressive. Right. Like for for them, it there would be a real power to being able to do that in terms of, you know, building for the future and keeping these young guys kind of invested in what they're trying to build down there. Yeah, I hope so. I do worry a little bit whether it's that healthy or helpful to finish eighth or ninth or 10th for this Orlando team, given where they are and like the lack of kind of long-term building blocks, depending on how you view Jonathan Isaac and Mo Bamba. I mean, they, they're going to need some star power at some point down there. Uh, Baba has looked good. But the thing is, like, the Magic are exactly the type of team that the lottery reforms were designed to help. And, um, you know, there's a very good chance that they could finish in the middle of the bottom 10 and end up with a top three pick. And that would be a good story because Orlando has gotten screwed for, like, five or six years straight in the lottery. Dude, can you picture Zion Williamson on that team? I think that's my new favorite NBA team. If you have Zion Williamson, Jonathan Isaac, Aaron Gordon, and Mo Bamba on the same team, <laughs> just start printing the jerseys, Andrew. Let's get down there. Let's get some of that blue pinstripe. Let's do it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that team would be pretty insane. It would be like a, a, a team. You know those those t-shirts with the, with the caricatures of the roster? Oh, yeah. That would be like a caricature brought to life where everybody looks like they're seven feet tall. And then you got defensive tackle Zion Williamson. We should do a whole podcast dedicated to where we want to see Zion Williamson next year and, and what Everywhere. the possibilities are. <laughs> every, yeah, exactly. every single team. But I do think there that would be awesome. I mean, that would be the perfect karmic payback for all those blown lottery picks over the last six or seven seasons. Yeah, they deserve like that, something. You know? The Hennigan oh. tenure really left a lot of lasting scars. I think Zion would be the nice <laughs> scar removal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, moving on to one team that the Magic just beat. Let's talk a quick five minutes on the Lakers here. I really Ooh. enjoyed this email from Darren who oh, said... You better enjoy it because he called you out, Andrew. He came right at your neck. <laughs> yes. Well, Darren says, hey, guys, I bought all the way into the Brandon Ingram buzz. I even t- paid too much for him in fantasy, and I blame Sharp. This is about accountability now. Sharp needs to unequivocally denounce Brandon Ingram if he has any shred of integrity left. And, you know, first of all, great takes from Darren. That's a <laughs> vicious one-two punch. I mean, I'm almost jealous, Darren. You got accountability and integrity in your same attack on Andrew. What are you trying to do? <laughs> to take over my job? I love it. Yes, he's definitely speaking your language. Um, my issue is... I, I think Brandon Ingram is still a good player. He's just in a bad situation, and he's asked to do a lot of things that he doesn't necessarily specialize in. I mean, I I would also say that over the last couple weeks, Ingram has started to level off and, and play better um, than he had to open the season. Like, I'm not here to defend his spaz session against the Rockets like a week into the season. That was a bad look. But other than that, Ingram is, is beginning beginning to stabilize, and I think... The bigger picture question is whether he can work next to LeBron James because next to LeBron, I mean, it is a tough job and and Ingram ends up stuck in ISOs a lot of the time and he's not great in in that setting. He's not great um, 
posting up, which he's done more of this year. And he's better with the ball in his hands. Even against Orlando, he started a run in the fourth quarter with the ball in his hands and kind of with everything going through him. And then LeBron comes back and he's sort of marginalized again. And so it's a tricky thing that the Lakers are going to have to figure out. Yeah, well, as much as I want to jump in here with Darren and mock you for your Ingram love, you called him your nephew and all this (laughs) stuff, I don't think it's warranted. I I think what you said to start is basically right. He's a good player and there are fit questions. The first thing I've noticed is LeBron is almost testing him in some of those isolation situations. Like he's just pitching the ball to Ingram and saying, hey, it's your possession. Like, go do it, right? And it reminds me a little bit of what he used to do with Kyrie and, and Deion Waiters when he first got back to Cleveland. And if you'll remember... Deion Waiters handled those situations so poorly, he got himself traded within a couple years, right? And Kyrie didn't handle them very well. LeBron eventually had to kind of call him out for no assists in one game, and then they kind of figured out, okay, let's get some better offensive flow, right? So I do think there's a little bit of LeBron just saying like, okay, Ingram, show me what you can do. And that's a tough spot to be in uh, just for any player, let alone a very young player who's obviously very talented. The other fit issue I see in... You know, the Chandler move for the Lakers, you know, basically gives them a center at all times, right? And that's been a really nice stability factor for their defense. And it also gives LeBron those pick and roll lob targets. So that's that's been big wins. But I do think playing a center winds up requiring sacrifice from a player like Ingram because he's at his best when he's going downhill, attacking the rim hard and using his length to finish. He can actually be a pretty creative finisher, even in traffic, uh, whether he's dunking or doing layups with either hand. Uh, because he's got that length but if you have a big in the paint that space that he needs to really thrive is not there and you know just a quick compare and contrast like imagine him in Milwaukee when they're playing five out when he's attacking the paint he has an awful lot more room to work uh, and fewer bodies to face than he might have in LA right now so I don't think it's just a LeBron fit issue I think it's an overall you know Lakers issue but I mean this is sort of where you're at when you have a flawed roster something is going to have to give and I think they need those centers so badly to like maintain any level of you know defensive competence that basically it just kind of runs downhill and Ingram's the the guy who winds up having to kind of sacrifice. Yeah, well, I would also say like he's a good player right now, but the difference between a good player and a great player is you know a great player can take the limited opportunities they get. And I'm really, I'm thinking of Kevin Durant here because he made this work next to Westbrook. He's making it work in Golden State. But you can take those limited opportunities and and still dominate in any context. And um, and a good player, you, like you need to be in the right context and ecosystem to to get the most out of them. And and this is has not been that system so far. Um, although there's still room for the Lakers to sort of get more creative with him off the ball. And by the way, as far as fantasy basketball. I did just put in a trade offer for Brandon Ingram because I still believe. So I'm here to double down, Darren. I don't know if you're still with me or not, but uh, I think that Ingram is going to see brighter days, if not in L.A., then somewhere else next year. But I'm willing to to hop on the bandwagon now. I'm trying to trade uh, C.J. McCollum and Harrison Barnes for Jamal Murray and Brandon Ingram. So we'll see how it goes. That's a fascinating package. Can't wait to see how that shakes out. I really hope they approve the deal, Andrew. Yes. Um, so one other Lakers question, though. From my guy to your guy, Uh-oh. Watani in Japan says, is there anyone who's been a bigger beneficiary of the Markel Fultz fiasco than Lonzo Ball? 
other than some decent defense, this guy has done basically nothing to justify being a top two pick. Given the huge market and maniacal fan base of the Lakers, why haven't more people been talking about Lonzo's bust potential? So what say you? Come on, Andrew. Let's, you know, the reason why no one's been talking about his bust potential is because he's not a bust. We know what the real busts look like. Greg Oden, Olawa Candy, Kwame Brown, Markel Fultz, if you want to throw him in there as sort of yeah. like a, a current bust. Lonzo is a good player, okay? Is he going to live up to his top 100 ranking of number 100? He might not quite <laughs> get there, but he might. I mean, this guy is not only is he a good defensive player, but he's very smart. The thing that I, I think gets people going down this or a track of, oh, he's a bust, is that his mistakes are so obvious and his good plays are much more subtle. And I think he's a very solid guy. I think his fit actually with LeBron has been pretty good. He hasn't uh, been upset about having a much smaller role with the ball in his hands uh, this year, and he's found ways to contribute, and he's earned that starting job. So to me, he's doing fine. Now, if the question is, if you did a redraft of that class, would he still be number two? And I think even defenders of Lonzo like myself would say there's no chance that he would be the number two guy. All right, there we go. I'm just making sure you haven't drank too much uh, big ball or Kool-Aid. Well, let me ask you, would you say the same thing about Ingram though? Do you think he still goes two in that trap? Ooh, that is a much trickier one, you know, because I think, I mean, I would still take Ingram over Jalen Brown. I would, Jamal Murray would be tough though. Uh, What do you think? Let me pull up the draft. I would take Murray over uh, over Brandon Ingram, I think, at this point. But one other thing, just real quick about Lonzo, a great you know kind of case study for his value is trying to imagine the Lakers just drafted Fox, right? So you're swapping Fox in place of, uh, of Lonzo. Yeah. Who's the better fit with LeBron in that scenario? I think so much of what De'Aaron Fox has been able to do up in Sacramento would be lost if he was playing alongside LeBron and just didn't have the ball uh, all the time. And I think even though Lonzo's shot is sort of inconsistent and, you know, quite hideous at times, like he's still at least giving you some of that spacing. And I think he's better, you know, playing off of LeBron. So I actually think fit-wise right now, short-term, Lonzo still makes more sense for the Lakers than Fox does, even if I think, you know, it's there's a very strong argument to be made that Fox has a, a higher or perhaps significantly higher, you know, ceiling down the road. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that 100%. I think Lonzo can be a really good fifth starter, uh, or, well, I don't know, really good, a pretty good fifth starter on a championship team. Um, the issue with LA is, like, they don't have starters two through four on a championship team right now, and they kind of need either Ingram to blow up or Lonzo to take a couple steps forward that, and neither one has happened so far. And, uh, if in lieu of that, they are, they're going to need Lonzo to improve enough to at least have some real trade value. And like, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but I don't think the Blazers would want Lonzo ball in a package for Damian Lillard, you know, and, and that's the same is true with every superstar you throw out there. It's like, I don't know how much value he he has around the league, um, but I agree that uh, I, Fox I think he's is got, not the guy to play with LeBron right now. I, I'm saying Lonzo has more value to the Lakers than I think most other teams at this point. Yeah, you know, exactly, it, it, which at is least a problem for, if you're the Lakers. Yeah, for sure, at least for this season. You know, I don't think Ingram is actually going to fall that far down that 2016 board, though, is he? I mean, the other guys in no. terms of like career win <laughs> shares, it's guys like Pascal and Murray and Sabonis and Pirtle and like, I still think you're talking yourself into Ingram over most of those guys. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the draft. It's like Marquise, Chris, Buddy Heald went six. Chris Dunn went five. Yikes. I know. Chris is a great example of a draft bust. Okay, Watani in Japan. Come on, man. (laughs) Like, lay off my guy, Lonzo. You know who isn't being talked about in the uh, 2017 redraft at all, Andrew? Who? Josh Jackson. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Is he even going top 20? I mean, come on. That's tough. Six eight Marcus Smart. He's been struggling so far. I, I do feel moderately vindicated. I took a lot of heat from Lakers fans after our preseason podcast where I said Lonzo isn't bad, but he's not good either. I that's where I am with him. As I think he's very solid and um isn't gonna hurt the team, but he isn't gonna help as much as the Lakers probably need but, him to. But, but he's not a bust though. Come on now. No, I you know, bust is like a semantics issue at this point. Like basically the only people we're calling busts if we're using your definition are like all-time disastrous picks, which maybe is the way to do it. I mean, we don't miss, we don't need to call anybody a bust. It's probably more humane this way. Well, okay, fine. You don't have to get on your high horse about it. I think it's fine <laughs> to call people busts. I just think Lonzo's going to have a tenure in NBA career, isn't he? I mean, Yes. At, at the least. And, you know, guys like Chris, I mean, he's basically out of the NBA and he got drafted like three weeks ago. Right. So that's a bust. And I think that's a, a pretty sloppy a use point. of the label. That's all I'm saying. So one more Alonzo question before we hit a quick podium. Um, do you think he helps the Lakers more as a trade asset or a basketball player? This year or long term? Uh, long term when all is said and done. Ooh. I think what you've identified in terms of him not necessarily having a huge value for lots of teams out there will not just be a this season issue. I think that's going to sort of be a continuous issue. And I think that the LA's next big move will come in free agency uh, next summer. And I think that they will talk themselves in. If they have two stars next, next year, they'll just say, let's run it back with the young guys and see what more we can get out of them. There's still untapped upside with both Lonzo and, and Ingram, and they wouldn't need to be star-level players in that scenario because you'd already have two stars. So I think next year could just wind up being like a supersized version of this year where it was just like, hey, we've got LeBron. That's good enough. Let's see what the young guys can do. I yep. think next year it would be like, we have LeBron and Star X. Let's just see what the young guys can do. So from that standpoint... I think Lonzo will help the Lakers more as a player rather than as a trade asset. Okay, good answer. Good takes. Um, Quick podium here. Owen says, Hey guys, I recently saw a story in an Irish newspaper about how Irish rugby star Jacob Stockdale is a passionate Lego builder and uses it to de-stress before big games. Brickheads only, Andrew. Brickheads only. That's right. Brickheads. Uh, We're back. Of course, the first people who came to mind were my favorite podcast duo. Are there any NBA stars you think would benefit from some Lego de-stressing? Are there any NBA players who wouldn't, though? I mean, let's be honest here. What do you think? I I would start Markel Fultz on a deep, intensive Lego therapy program today. I mean, immediately. (laughs) Let's get this guy doing like the Tower Bridge 6,000-piece puzzle like immediately. I think that would help. Andrew, I made the mistake of buying knockoff Legos for the first time in my life over the weekend. There was a little black bear statue that was made out of mini building blocks. And I thought, hey, I'll try to do this. Let me just say that the most underrated part of Legos are the instructions, okay? Because the instructions for this thing are just impossible. The pieces are so small. I almost need to use like tweezers or toothpicks or something to build this and construct it. 
I'm not even sure it's going to be worth it once it's done. So this is my <laughs> this is my warning to everyone out there. Okay, just stick with the real deal. Lego has this market cornered for a reason. They don't really have a competitor because they've just nailed it. Yes, they're sometimes too expensive, but don't waste your money on uh, false idols. No, you know what? I'm really glad you told me that because uh, the reason I included this question is because the night before Thanksgiving, I couldn't sleep for some reason. So I was up to like 3 or 3.30 in the morning and I was on Amazon.com perusing prospective Lego builds for myself. And, um, you know, I'm into sort of the grown-up Legos. I look, I like the architecture and yep. there are a lot of off-brand Lego imitators that have their own versions of like various cities around the world. And um, I was tempted because a couple of them are cooler than what Lego offers. But I'm I'm glad to know in advance to not trust any of those people. You, you can't do it, Andrew. I'm not even being paid for this, but don't do it, okay? Just, <laughs> <laughs> just Look, stick to the real deal. Can, can I tell you something? This is why we're going to continue doing the podcast as long as we can, because we're not quitting Open Floor until one day we get an official Lego sponsorship. Um, and I just want to read... I'm going to have you help me pick out uh, my next Lego here. Oh, I so can't wait. Do it. I'm let's dealing... let's hear this Amazon.com wish list. This is great radio. <laughs> yeah. Just read it off. I'll tell you what to do. Yeah, my Amazon cart currently, it, I have $800 worth of Legos in here. Oh, jeez. Um, so <laughs> Lego architecture, Venice, uh, the, the mixed Venice skyline. Um, that's okay. one contender. I've been to Venice and I really enjoyed it. Um, and now the next one, the Imperial Hotel in China. Uh, okay. That's $163. It's a discontinued model though. So I, I feel like that's maybe more valuable. That's um, rare, but you want to leave that, you want to leave that uh, dead stock, Andrew, just like the sneakers. You can't open up those discontinued <laughs> models. They lose all their value, but keep going. Uh, the Sydney Opera House, the Flatiron Building in New York, and then, uh, and then I've got a Burj Khalifa <laughs> Lego set and the Lincoln Memorial, which I feel like is a little bit too boring and like on brand with the whole DC thing. Do any of those jump out at you? I mean, Burj Khalifa sounds like a great rap name. I would also just say, though, um, <laughs> I, personally, if I were you, because you've been to Venice, and my rule is I only build the Lego places I've been, so I would get the Venice skyline. However, I think the overall just unbiased most open floor and coolest set of all the ones you mentioned would be the Sydney Opera House. So yeah. I would narrow it down to one of those two. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Because I knew that was your rule and I was thinking about adopting it for myself. And then I, at the same time, the Imperial Hotel and the Sydney Opera House are by far the coolest Legos available right now. And um, I don't feel like going all the way around the world just so that I can <laughs> build my Lego. But uh, Well, look, Stav and all the other Australians will be real excited if you build it. It's it true. Motivation. It's true. You want to go to Sydney one day, maybe we'll... Uh, you know, get you motivated to go there by getting your Lego. I do think the overall number one all-time Lego set, though, is the Taj Mahal. And I think ultimately our first live open floor episode needs to be somewhere within like walking distance of the Taj Mahal solely so that we can both buy that <laughs> set, <laughs> get magic yeah. sets. Who knows what's possible for the future? Um, in any case, last question here from Aaron Golver, Ben's brother. He says, hey, Ben, where are you? We've been waiting at the lake for a while, and we are worried that you're lost. I have no idea what the context is from this. I do like that your brother assumed that 
The best way to get in touch with you would be to email <laughs> openfloormail at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, take me into Yosemite for a second. Well, we went for a nice hike uh, towards Mirror Lake, I believe, on Saturday. And it's this beautiful reflecting lake that kind of is right by you know, Half Dome and some of these other huge granite uh, you know, structures or, or mountains, whatever you want to call them. And so it reflects beautifully into the water and you can get those reflection shots that always make the, uh, the photography books, right? So I was all excited, you know, bringing people out there and little, do, little did I know, I, I don't know if it's climate change or the drought or the fires or whatever else, but Mirror Lake was actually completely gone, Andrew. There was no lake it was just empty. So that's why in the email he put lake with an asterisk because it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't so it's really a lake. more of a crater at this point. Yeah. So yeah, or a meadow maybe, like kind of a sandy meadow. So okay. we were walking around in there taking pictures for a while. But then out of the corner of my eye, I saw a lady sort of waving hay or, or brush. And I couldn't figure out what she was doing. So, you know, I had to get my little junior ranger Rick on. I had to go investigate. And sure enough, she was trying to get the attention of a buck. So I followed her in the buck and look, I wasn't going to intervene, but I did want to kind of just be in a supervisory role because you're not supposed to mess with the animals, Andrew. When you go to national parks, you know, what's my mantra? You leave nothing but footprints, take nothing but pictures. <laughs> Nowhere in that does it say you should harass animals by waving things at them, right? So I just wanted to make sure there wasn't going to be an incident. She wasn't going to get attacked. The buck wasn't going to get spooked or whatever. Right. Long story short, I was wandering in the wilderness for about 10 to 15 minutes and completely forgot uh, about everything else. I think that the open floor mail email from my brother was sort of like a desperate smoke signal because the, <laughs> the, cell, the cell reception out there is not great. And I wasn't returning phone calls or text messages or everything else. Uh, I did eventually get back to them and then we made it successfully back to civilization. But let me end on the same point that I started with, Andrew. Yeah. You know, these brushes with God, you know, these heavenly feelings you can get from the national parks. They're not promised tomorrow, Andrew. So get out there and do it now. Don't say you're going to do it 10 years from now because Mirror Lake might evaporate. You know, yeah. some of those other glaciers might be gone. So seize the moment, carpe diem, get out there and, uh, you know, really experience life to the fullest. Well, that's a, a summer project for me. Banff in Canada is number one on the list and then we'll go from there. But for now, Ben, uh it's great to catch up we will be back on friday the pod is still alive and uh yeah man take it easy openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com as andrew just proved even when we're in the middle of nowhere we check that email we love it it's the <laughs> lifeblood of this show so keep those coming also check us out on uh, on apple Podcasts. search for open floor and look i'm gonna call all these people out andrew if you sent me a panicky DM on Instagram or a comment on Instagram or a Twitter comment or an email to our openfloormail at gmail.com email address because you were panicking that the show was going to be over, do you know what they owe us, Andrew? What? They owe us an a Instagram five follow. <laughs> well, that too, Ben Golliver. But they also <laughs> owe us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and uh, you know maybe a nice little write up as well because. We do it for you guys. We need the support. And those kinds of ratings and reviews really matter. And we appreciate hearing from you. Uh, hey, Andrew, until later this week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. 
Warriors fans search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.